The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Global equity markets under pressure as COVID case counts, Omicron, and the possibility of new nationwide lockdowns weigh. Now, in China, the country's central bank does something for the first time since the start of the pandemic, sending shares there lower as well. Back here on the home front, technology getting hit the hardest in the pre-market as NASDAQ futures sink ahead of the opening bell. But it's not just stocks. Oil also making a sharp move lower on renewed demand fears heading into the new year. And Goldman Sachs taking its outlook for the U.S. growth prospects down a peg as President Biden's Build Back Better agenda at the moment looks dead in the water. It's Monday, December 20th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, Guy. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Monday morning with U.S. stock futures right now, very in the red. You can take a closer look at those technology and NASDAQ futures over the past several hours, but right now you can see over my shoulder the S&P 500 implied lower by roughly 9 to 10 points, the Dow Jones down by about 70, and the NASDAQ lower by 323 points. Technology will be the epicenter of this particular trade, at least to start the day. Now, this morning's action coming after the Dow posted its worst week in nearly a month, both it and the S&P 500 losing nearly 2% over the last week. It's even worse, though, for the Nasdaq, coming off a 3% weekly loss. You can see there the Nasdaq 100 futures implied lower again, but over the course of the last week or so, Sharp move lowers there. Sharp moves lower there. Checking the Treasury side of things, we are seeing a move in benchmark 10-year Treasury note yields. You can see just a hair lower here, 1.375%, the last trade there, just about 60 basis points or 0.60% for the benchmark two-year Treasury. Now, oil is getting hard, hit hard as well, extending losses in just the last two hours worth of trading. WTI futures down about 4% right now, $67.00. And 94 cents. Ice Brent crude futures, 71 the figure, down about $2.54, 3.5% losses there. Let's now check the overnight action in Asia. It's pretty much red across the board after China's central bank cut its benchmark lending rate for the first time since April of 2020. You can see here the moves lower have reverberated around the Shanghai Composite down 1%, 2% for the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, and the Nikkei in Japan off 2% as well. Let's spin that globe over to Europe because it's a very similar story there as markets there are sharply lower on this opening trade. You can see here the German DAX down about two and a quarter percent, the FTSE 100 in the UK down about one and a half percent and one and a half percent declines for the CAC in France as well. Now, the story in Europe, at least in part, is tied to new action by governments in the Netherlands, Austria, Germany and others imposing new lockdowns and restrictions to help stem the spread of the rising COVID cases there. CNBC's Annette Weisbach joins us now from Berlin with the latest there. Good morning, Annette. 
Good morning indeed. The German government has reinstated travel restrictions from people coming from the UK to Germany. Only Germans are allowed back into the country, but they have to quarantine. The UK now is officially what we call a virus variant um, region, which will, is triggering the toughest travel restriction. There will be also more travel restrictions from people coming from France and Austria. So um, we are heading, we're headed towards uh, more restrictions also domestically in Germany. Tomorrow there will be a high-level crisis meeting of the German government and the so-called Corona Export Council. And what we know so far is that those experts, they are advising tough restrictions also on social gatherings, potentially also going as far as closing down restaurants and bars once again in order to avoid Omicron, the variant which is spreading very, very violently in the UK, to also uh, spread here in Germany as our hospitals are cl very close to full capacity already now, Dominic. So, Aneta, I, I wonder, with the prospects of these new lockdowns and restrictions, is there any kind of public backlash at all? We tended to see some more pushback against some of the earlier actions taken specifically in Europe and elsewhere around the world as well. Any indications that there is social unrest given the lockdown measures being taken? It's not only indications, it's protests across the country. We have some 10,000 people on the streets over the weekend protesting against uh, corona measures and also against the debate that we kind might introduce mandatory vaccination in Germany. Germany only has a vaccination rate of roughly 70%, and that is, according to experts, far too low to um, <clears throat> get hold of the coronavirus situation also going into next year. Of course, those 30% of the population are also entailing kids who can't be vaccinated yet, but there is a huge chunk of adults as well, especially in the east and especially in the south of Germany, who is very much against getting the jab. All right, so, so the latest there from Europe with Annette Weisbach. Thank you very much for those and the lockdown measures being taken in Europe. Now, we've also turned now to a major developing story here on the home front as West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin says he remains firmly opposed to President Biden's Build Back Better, BBB bill. NBC's Alice Barr joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Good morning, Alice. Good morning, Dominic. Yeah, this came as something of a surprise to President Biden, the White House, to progressives on Capitol Hill. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, that key linchpin moderate Democrat, he came out yesterday on Fox News Sunday and said that he was a no. He said he had tried everything possible over the past several months to find a way to support this massive nearly $2 trillion Build Back Better bill, but that at the end of the day, he felt like it was something he couldn't explain to the people of West Virginia, so he was going to vote no. President Biden put out a statement shortly after that through the press secretary, rather, the White House, saying that this is at odds with everything that Senator Manchin had been saying uh, to President Biden. We know that they've had frequent meetings over the past several weeks. They met just this week. And the president said that in that meeting that uh, Joe Manchin said that he was going to come up with a way to come to a yes on this. So um, he's really feeling like the president feeling like this came out of left field. And we're hearing from progressives who are saying that Senator Manchin has betrayed all the promises he made to uh, negotiate in good faith and come up with some sort of agreement on this massive piece of legislation for President Biden's agenda. Alice, I wonder what's next. Uh, what do they have to do? What's the positioning happening on both sides of the aisle with regard to how they get this? Is it even possible to get it back on track?
Yeah, I mean, isn't that the question? What's next? We're hearing from progressives and from from Democrats more broadly across the party that they want to come up with something. So, you know, it's not going to be, it looks like this 1.75 up to $2 trillion sweeping agenda that they were looking for, but that there's got to be a way to reach agreement on several of the key provisions. Um, progressive Democrats promising to stay at the table to, to come up with something. It just remains to be seen what Senator Manchin might be willing to support. We know, you know certain of the things he doesn't want paid family leave. He said he doesn't want the child tax credit, some of these really large and costly over a long period programs that are in BBB. But is there some smaller scaled down version he would support? That's what everyone's waiting to see. Dominic. NBC's Alice Barr in Washington with the latest there. Thank you very much for that. Those comments from Manchin turning heads on Wall Street this morning as well, getting particular attention over at Goldman Sachs. The team led by Jan Hatzius cutting its U.S. growth forecast on those comments out with a note last night saying, quote, BBB no longer looks like the base case. We recently put the probability of a modified version at slightly better than even. But in light of Manchin's comments, the odds have clearly declined and we will remove the assumption from our forecast. Now, with this change, our GDP forecast for 2022 now stands at 2% in Q1 versus a 3% prior. A failure to pass it would introduce some risk to our expectation that the FOMC will deliver the first rate hike in March. Goldman adds, though, that without Build Back Better, the odds of new corporate tax increases are down significantly as well, a variable that could have reduced S&P 500 profits by an estimated 3%. So a mixed bag, if you will. Let's now bring in Vance Howard, CEO and portfolio manager over at Howard Capital Management. Uh, Vance, Goldman had already cut its U.S. growth forecast for this year back in October over fears of a consumer spending slowdown. What exactly does this now mean for markets overall if on balance you might not have the tax increases we feared, but at the same time, maybe not as much of that fiscal stimulus as we were expecting? Well, you know, the Fed's been pretty clear with us. They're going to start tapering. They're going to raise rates next year. And I think what's what's happening here, here, Dom, is we're seeing the market sell off this morning. But is it selling off because of the GDP number that Goldman wants to talk about? Or is it selling off, off because of the spike in COVID and inflation? When you look at inflation, that's given me more heartburn than, than Goldman coming out with a number on GDP. And the, uh, the, the virus spiking up is a little bit of a heartburn, too. Those are Those are big headwinds, man. I mean, from a year ago, Energy prices are up 50%. From a year ago, food prices are up 30%. That's the headwind that we're looking at. I think that's what's giving everybody some heartburn right now. But even then, Dom, the trend's still up. I'd be buying on this dip. I think it's going to go a little bit lower before it corrects itself over the next few days. It's a shortened week. But I think you've got an opportunity here to pick up some stocks at a pretty cheap price. Vance, there's no doubt there's a dip in place right now. We want you to just stay right there and bear with us for a moment here. We have some breaking news out from Moderna. The company saying a third vaccine dose boosts antibodies 37 times more than pre-boost levels. Moderna also says a booster dose works against the Omicron variant in lab tests. The company is still developing an Omicron-specific booster in case it's needed. But as you can see, there's a market reaction. Moderna shares currently up 5 to 6% in the pre-market trade, and we're seeing an acceleration of some of, some of those pre-market volumes right now. Vance, I wonder, we just had this breaking news from Moderna. We know that Omicron and COVID fears over the economy are weighing on markets as well. Do you feel as though COVID is still a driving force behind the markets? 
Well, it is right now. And and I think that, what you know, they keep talking about cases are jumping up, how how, uh, how this virus is really spreading at a rapid rate. But maybe they ought to take, instead of talk, start talking about how many cases it has, let's talk about the severity of, of uh, the, the Omicron virus. You know, and I think that they ought to start measuring that maybe more than cases. I think that may, you know, ease a little bit of tensions that's going on out there. But it's really created a lot of tension with this situation. But again, I go back to inflation. I go back to Omicron. I think that's the reason you're seeing the sell-off. Plus, it's a little bit technical. But but now we're oversold. So be looking for some opportunities in here. And Dom, one thing I tell our people all the time, control your emotions. Emotions will kill your returns. All right. So let's say emotions are killing returns. If you were to buy on this dip, what exactly is the stuff to buy? Uh, you know, tech, you know, technology's taken on the chin this morning. I would look at IYW. I would look at the uh, the iShares of the uh, a basket of technology stocks. I don't think I would try to pick out any one individual stock at this point. Just buy the whole basket, and I think you're going to be pretty pleased with it. You know, one, two, three, four months out. Uh, you know, uh, uh, AT and T sold off to the point, and the dividend's so high right now. That's looking strong. The uh, semiconductor index is looking good. It's pulled back now from it. It broke out to a really nice breakout. Now it's pulling back to a level. I'd start to put money back in the SOXX. All right. So chip stocks, AT&T, and some of those U.S. technology stocks in basket format. Vance Howard, thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. Thank you, Dom. All right. When we come back on the show, much more on this morning's market action, including a sharp move lower in oil prices. We dig into the why and the how long. That's coming up ahead. Plus, when it comes to Disney's latest Spider-Man franchise, why the L.A. Times says with great power comes great profitability. Get it? And later on, the latest on Delta, Omicron, and the about face at some of Wall Street's biggest banks when it comes to return to office plans. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. It's a sea of red in global markets right now. Welcome back to the show. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning and happy Monday, Dom. So Canada's Bank of Montreal is reportedly in advanced talks to buy the U.S. arm of French bank BNP Paribas. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, the deal could be finalized as soon as this week and would assist in BMO's U.S. expansion. Combined, the banks would have some $870 billion in assets. 
Meanwhile, Chinese AI giant Sendtime is revving plans for its Hong Kong IPO just 10 days after being forced to scrap those plans amid being added to a U.S. investment blacklist. The company still aims to raise up to $767 million with a maximum valuation of $17 billion, unchanged from its original offering. Shares are expected to start trading in Hong Kong on December 30th. And Spider-Man No Way Home shattering pandemic box office records this past weekend, opening with an estimated $253 million in ticket sales. Not only was the highest film debut of the year, it was the third best opening weekend of all time, just behind Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. Dom? Shocking. Marvel yeah. making yeah. a lot of money in movies. Right. There, so. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I plan on watching it in the Same. theaters because that's the way I I'd, want to I'd go. like to watch it in the theaters, but I hear it's really hard to get tickets. So I'm uh, going to have to wait until it's uh, on the streaming service. I don't need to be a first mover advantage here <laughs> on this kind of thing. Silvana Hinao, thank you very much you for that. It. Still on deck for the show. Tiger Woods makes history at the PNC Championship this past weekend. And then why buy now, pay later plans may start to hit your credit report and... A closer look at the falling profits for home flippers. We are back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, energy stocks very much in focus right now for laggard side of things in the S&P 500. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines outside of business and money. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning to you. Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts and Cory Booker of New Jersey have tested positive for coronavirus. Both have breakthrough cases of COVID. The senators said they are vaccinated and have had booster shots. Neither have identified which strain of the virus they have. Trevor Noah is suing the New York-based Hospital for Special Surgery. The Daily Show host claims that Dr. Riley Williams III, an orthopedic surgeon for NBA teams, botched an undisclosed operation in November of 2020. The lawsuit alleges that the care Noah was given at the hospital was, quote, performed and rendered in a negligent and careless manner. It goes on to say that as a result of the negligence, he suffered permanent, severe and grievous injuries. The Hospital for Special Surgery is calling the allegations meritless. Nearly 10 months after a near-tragic car crash, Tiger Woods is back on the golf course. Woods and his son Charlie finished second at the PNC Championship in Orlando. Golf legend John Daly and his son took home the win. But even though you're second, this is already a major, huge win 
for Tiger. I know we knew that this was coming, but to see him actually out there, Dom, is just amazing. And his little mini-me, his son there, too. Charlie, the Charlie got more attention, I think, than Tiger Woods did. I mean, <laughs> that, that kid's swing is ridiculously awesome. And, by the way, the record that they broke, I mean, the team, Charlie and Tiger, 11 straight birdies in that format. That was, that was crazy to watch. I mean, across the board, just, I mean, great to see, you know, from Sun to just Tiger. And, and maybe, maybe the start of another comeback. There's no doubt the golf world is better off with Tiger in it. Thank you very much, Francis Herrera, for, sure for that. All right, back to the markets now, specifically oil. It's getting crushed this morning as mounting concerns about Omicron spread dims the outlook for a rebound in fuel demand globally. For more, let's bring in Amrita Sen. She's the head of research at Energy Aspects. Uh, Amrita, we often turn to you to bring us back to a, a semblance of maybe reality here. Is the oil market as bad off as the markets at least are pricing them out to be this morning? We know that they've had a huge run over the last year, but these are massive moves to the downside that we've seen as of late. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I don't think fundamentals justify this kind of move. This is very much a symptom of low liquidity. Very few people are around given the holiday season. Um, a lot of people already closed their positions pretty much from mid-November after the volatility we've seen in both oil and gas. You know, there are lots of traders who've had a very good year. So why keep their positions open with all the uncertainties around Omicron and, you know, the SPR release at that point? Um, we just had too much. And the, the weather hasn't been cooperative either. It's been a warm start to the winter. A lot of banks were too bullish. Um, we've been saying that for a while, talking about gas to oil switching. Our numbers were a lot smaller. Um, and I think, you you know, once if the market had bought into some of those big bank numbers, then they're having to revise those lower now with the winter that we've seen so far. So lots of reasons to not be long. So this is much more a long liquidation than a suggestion that fundamentals are weakened. I mean, you know, if you look at Dubai, Dubai remains very backwardated, a sign that Asian demand is still strong. Uh, so, yeah, the, the liquidation is what's driving Brent and WTI. All right. So if that, if that liquidation is a short term phenomenon that will resolve itself, what exactly is in your mind? the biggest driving force behind the oil market right now? Is it on the supply side? Is it on the demand side? Is it Omicron? Uh, what exactly is that, that, that thing that is really pushing the markets around? It's got to be the demand in Omicron. I mean, obviously, they're related. Um, different governments are taking very different approaches. Obviously, over the weekend, you've seen some European governments uh, coming out with full lockdown. So that's leading to jitters that, you know, this is a repeat of last winter or even parts of this spring when oil demand took a pretty significant hit. But what we are seeing is that it's different this time around. A, a lot more people are vaccinated. Globally, about 50 percent of the world's population is vaccinated. B, uh, Last, this time last year or even earlier this year, Asia was still in lots of mobility, under lots of mobility restriction. Now Asia is opening up and you are seeing a lot stronger demand out of the East. And finally, um, I think people are necessarily as compliant. And I think you've seen that with governments as well. Very few are actually coming out with out-and-out out lockdowns, it's been much more guidance around, look, let's, you know, we're, we're advising you to not mix. Um, and, you know, we've seen that on the streets and traffic data as well. It just hasn't come off nearly as much as what we've seen in the past. So, yes, of course, there's downside to demand, but not nearly to the same extent as what we've seen in the last, like, 12 to 18 months. Uh, Marita, I'm, I'm wondering, in your, in your role as an analyst, uh, somebody who watches all these markets, you have a, a, a number of models and a, a number of different things that you look at. What exactly then, in your mind, 
is the biggest kind of factor you're looking at with regard to the return of travel demand? Do you, do you look at things like, like airline bookings? Do you look at things like, like here in the U.S., TSA screenings for passengers? What exactly would signal to you that there's a, an increased demand for fuel, given the fact that, that travel may or may not be returning? I think the <clears throat> sorry the the points the or the data points you talked about are exactly right. We scrape um, airline data or airport uh, and traffic data and airline booking data from around the world. So we are keeping very close tabs on that. We're looking at vehicles miles traveled as well because even though people may not be flying, they are driving. Um, so that's another factor. But I think broader macro, uh, it's the hospitalizations that we're keeping an eye out for for the next two weeks. Obviously, case counts around the world are surging right now. If as people, are, as, as a lot of scientists are saying that this strain is milder, then hospitals shouldn't be overwhelmed. I think that's going to give people more confidence to get back on the road again, road or planes. Uh, and I think that's what we're really looking for in the kind of next few weeks around January in particular, that do we see demand pick back up again after the new year? Because if that does, then you absolutely think that, you know, we would come out sure. very confidently and say this correction is overdone and prices should head higher. All right. I'm Rita Senate Energy Aspects. Thank you very much. Always great to hear your thoughts. Uh, have a nice Thank day. Thank you. All right. As we head out to break, a uh, check on futures right now. You can see the markets are gyrating right now, but the Dow, the biggest pre-market laggards right now. You can kind of take a look and see what's happening overall. The Dow Jones Industrial Average taking a tick higher here in just the last maybe 15, 20 minutes or so on the heels of that Moderna news coming out with regard to the efficacy of some of their products against the Omicron variant. And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. We'll be right back after this break. Stocks showing little Christmas cheer, looking to kick off the holiday shortened week with losses. Futures right now deeply in the red. The market suffering a one-two punch as the Omicron variant rages across the globe with surging case and hospitalization figures here in the U.S. as well. Former Health and Human Services official Rick Bright lays out what you need to know about this surge. And the other markets punch, Goldman Sachs slashing its growth projections for the U.S. economy after Senator Joe Manchin torpedoes President Biden's $2 trillion Build Back Better plan. It's Monday, December 20th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. You can see right here futures deeply in the red. The Dow down to about 432 points. The implied open there is still roughly to the downside by that amount of points. But you can see here just in the last half hour or so, we got a tick higher on some of the news out of Moderna about the efficacy of some of their booster shots with regard to the battle against the Omicron variant. We'll check on some of those headlines later on down the line. Pre-market losses, though, accelerating over the past couple of hours before that particular bit of news. Same story for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 as well. You can see the S&P and Nasdaq both trading to the downside, getting just a tiny bit of help in the last half hour or so here with those headlines from Moderna. Overseas, red arrows in Europe as well. You can see the moves there for the German DAX off by nearly 2%. The CAC in France off by 1% and the FTSE 100 in the UK down by about one and a quarter percent as well. Overnight in Asia, where China just cut its key lending rate for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Still, though, markets in the red. The Nikkei in Japan, 2% to the downside. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong off by 2% as well. And the Shanghai Composite down 1%. 
On the Treasury side of things, going a little bit more macro, we are seeing a move lower in yields, a bid for bond prices. The 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield, 1.38%, just about 61 basis points or 0.61% for the two-year Treasury note yield. And Bitcoin prices right now, we don't want to forget about those. Also, moving to the downside, you can see Bitcoin prices currently down about 2%, 45,909 the last trade there. Ethereum, Ether prices down about 3%, 3799 the last trade. Now to a developing story this morning and the fallout over Senator Joe Manchin's decision to withdraw his support for President Biden's nearly $2 trillion Build Back Better plan. That move the focus of a new note out from Goldman Sachs. Now, the team, led by Jan Hatzius, is cutting its U.S. growth forecast on those comments, saying, quote, BBB no longer looks like the base case. We recently put the probability of a modified version at slightly better than even, but in light of Manchin's comments, the odds have clearly declined, and we will remove the assumption from our forecast. With this change, our GDP forecast for 2022 now stands at 2% in Q1 versus a 3% prior. A failure to pass it would introduce some risk to our expectation that the FOMC will deliver its first rate hike in March. So keep an eye on those comments in the markets. They could be a driving force there. Now to the latest in the COVID pandemic as well. Several countries in Europe are rolling out new measures during the holidays amid rising case figures over there. The Netherlands already ordering a lockdown, while Germany has banned travelers from the U.K. where Omicron has become the dominant strain. The World Health Organization revealing over the weekend that cases of Omicron are doubling every one and a half to three days across the globe. The variant has already been found in 89 countries within a month of it first being discovered. By contrast, the Delta variant took six months to reach that many countries. Meanwhile, in the U.S., President Biden is set to address the nation tomorrow afternoon amid rising Omicron cases and new steps the administration plans to take to address those issues. And news out earlier from Moderna in this hour saying a third vaccine dose boosts antibodies 37 times more than a pre-boost. Now, Moderna also says a booster dose works against the Omicron variant in lab tests. The company is still developing, though, an Omicron-specific booster in case it's needed by the way, a check on Moderna shares in the pre-market trade up about $16, $310.98. The last trade there up about 5.5%. Pfizer up about 1.5% as well. And Johnson & Johnson down 1%. So the vaccine makers, a very big focus for traders right now. Joining us now is Dr. Rick Bright, Senior Vice President of Pandemic Prevention at the Rockefeller Foundation. I, I wonder, Dr. Bright, thank you very much for being with us this morning. We've had a number of guests on this program already and by the way, many conversations I've had, not just on Wall Street, but within the medical community as well, talking about this notion that we should be focusing more on hospitalizations and severe case counts rather than cases. What's the case there for why we are still looking so closely at cases? Dom, thanks for, thanks for having me on this morning. Um, the cases are a predetermining statistic or a measure that we look at to see what we anticipate we'll see then in hospitalizations and deaths. Even though there are reports that the Omicron variant might cause milder disease than the Delta variant, we know clearly that the Omicron variant is much more contagious, is going to infect many more people, magnitudes more people, much faster than we've seen with any other virus. 
more people infected will lead to more hospitalizations and will lead to more deaths. There's still a wide swath of America and the rest of the world who have not been vaccinated at all with little or no protection at all. And those are going to be the hardest hit with Omicron. So, so if we, we're looking at a graphic right now, doctor, uh, of the COVID-19 hospitalizations, they, they are ticking higher, as you might suspect, as case counts go higher. But they're nowhere near the peaks that we've seen in prior waves, especially with Delta, especially with previous ones that going going back to the kind of early part of 2021. Is there a reason why in this particular case we are perhaps not going to be as concerned about some of those symptoms as you point out? Or is it too early for us to really make any kind of those assertions about whether or not this virus really is going to be as severe an issue? Dom, it's much too early. We need to not be overly confident in how Omicron is going to rip through the, the human population. And it's also important to remember that there is a lot of Delta variant. And Delta variant we know is a killer. And we know if you're unvaccinated, it can kill you. We know Omicron is still the same virus by different names, some mutations. It's still a killer. Both of these will circulate over the next six to eight weeks. In addition, influenza is circulating in the United States and the Northern Hemisphere. You have a triple whammy on the human population right now over the next few months. It is going to cause hospitals to fill up. It is going to cause a lot more deaths than we're used to seeing. We just showed a graphic showing the number of folks out there in America who, are, uh, who have been vaccinated either with one dose or fully. It, it is right now in the millions, and about 72, 73 percent of folks have already gotten one dose of the vaccine. 61 percent are fully vaccinated. What kind of vaccination numbers do we need to get to in order for this to be something we can put in the rearview mirror? Globally, we need to have at least 70 percent or 70 to 90 percent of the people vaccinated. Where we have large pockets of unvaccinated people around the world is where there's a higher likelihood for these new variants to emerge and then spread around the world. So until we get those numbers up everywhere, we're going to always be at risk of a new variant emerging and swinging back through into a highly populated and a highly vaccinated region with a new variant that can evade immunity from the, the vaccines that we have today. We need to continue making improved vaccines that give us longer durability and, and better and broader protection. And it's also important to remember with Omicron that most of our therapeutics, our monoclonal antibodies have been knocked out of play right now. We only have one monoclonal antibody to tr treat those people who are severely ill and hospitalized by GSK and Veer. The other companies are having to reformulate and make their monoclonal antibodies and it will be a few months before they have them. We have to also make sure that we have this new drug from Pfizer, getting it authorized as soon as possible so we can have more people with greater treatment options sooner. That is how we're gonna get ahead of, of Omicron. And most importantly, Dom, our first line of defense is a high quality N95 mask. Everyone should wear a high quality N95 mask every time they step out of their home during this holiday season. All right, Dr. Rick Bright with the uh conclusions there that we are trying to draw from the early stages of this Omicron variant. Dr. Rick Bright, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. All right. Amid the growing worries over Omicron's rapid spread, a number of high profile companies are hitting the brakes and in some cases throwing completely out in reverse their return to office plans for employees. Robert Frank joins us now with a look at who's holding off on getting workers back into the office and going back to remote work. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Dom. J.P. Morgan, that's New York City's largest employer, telling workers they can go back home for at least the next two weeks, a memo sent last Friday. 
said that workers, depending on their role, could work remotely until at least January. Then you have Citigroup, which had called people back for two days a week starting in September, now telling staffers at its New York and New Jersey offices they can also stay home. Jeffries asked its 4,500 workers to work from home because of a spike of at least 40 new cases there. And then you have Morgan Stanley also giving more employees the option from working from home. And then this, all this happens as New York City was counting on these financial firms to lead the office recovery and the city's commercial comeback after the holidays. About a third of New York City's office workers were back in the office as of December They had hoped that would reach at least 50% by January, but now the partnership for New York City expecting a broad, quote, rollback in those plans. And you have Apple planning its return in February initially, now putting all of that on hold, Google announcing a delay, and Meta delaying its return that was supposed to be for January, now at least five months delayed. Dom, you look at the stock angle of all this, the big New York commercial REIT, so that's Empire, that's SL Green, that's Vornado, all down this week because the city's vacancy rate now still close to that record of about 17%. If you look broadly, Robert, and this is very specific because you and I both live in the area, we kind of see what's happening. Is there a fear that many of the businesses that have been on the comeback in New York are now going to start to suffer as well. I, I, I know, I, and I've told viewers, I, I took my daughter, my wife, to, to go see the Radio City Christmas Spectacular, the Rockets. They've just now canceled the rest of their season. We're hearing some Broadway shows are starting to do the same thing. What happens to restaurants in the area? What's the ripple effect if you don't know what's going to happen in New York over the next couple of months? I, I think there's two buckets there. One is the, the tourist economy, which, as you rightly point out, had been coming back. That was an important source of sales tax for the city. Now we have all these Broadway shows canceling. The restaurant traffic was very light over the weekend. Retail traffic is still pretty strong in the city, but it's unclear whether that's going to continue through this week and following the holidays. And then you have the commercial comeback, which, again, everyone was hoping Finally, it's going to be in January. Finally, the office economy, that commuter economy that's so crucial to New York will come back. It will come back, but now it's at least on hold another month or two. All right. A a big deal there for the New York metro area. Thank you very much, Robert Frank. Coming up on the show, a new headwind for the red-hot housing market. Dina Olick lays out new data suggesting profits for flipping homes are now taking a hit. And as we head out to break, another look at the biggest losers on the Dow in the pre-market trade so far right now. Chevron down by nearly 3%. Caterpillar, Boeing, American Express, and P&G all down as well. Keep an eye on those. We are back after this. All right, chip stocks and Chinese internet stocks, some of the biggest NASDAQ pre-market laggards right now. You can see they're still hovering near session lows for the NASDAQ 100 futures right now. Welcome back to the show. A new report on the business of flipping homes reveals that profits on these real estate investments have fallen to their lowest level in over a decade. Now, the drop comes even as more investors dive into the house flipping market. Diana Olick joins us now with why more flips are proving to be less profitable. Diana, good morning. 
Good morning, Dom. Yes, sky-high prices in the housing market seem to be driving more investors to flip homes. But word of warning, the returns are shrinking. Close to 95,000 homes were flipped in the third quarter of this year, which was an increase from the second quarter in uh, from the second quarter in a row after flipping dropped dramatically in the first year of the pandemic. Flips represented 5.7% of all sales, and that's all according to Adam data. But profits are shrinking. The average gross profit was just under $69,000, down 1.6% from a year ago. And the return on investment fell to 32%, down from close to a 44% return in the third quarter of last year. That's the lowest return since the start of 2011 and the largest annual drop since early 2009 when the housing market was crashing, of course, during the Great Recession. Now, the reason is that home price gains have started to slow. So when investors purchased the homes, prices were rising a lot faster. The run-up in resale prices, not as much as the run-up in purchase prices. And that led to the drop in profit margins. Now, of course, as we know, all real estate is local. Now, investors saw the biggest profits in Buffalo, New York, Oklahoma City, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The smallest returns were in Laredo, Texas, Boise, Idaho, and Portland, Oregon. Now, adding to the losses, costs for materials and labor to renovate these flipped homes are still rising, eating into the net profit. Interesting, though, supply chain disruptions don't seem to be as much as a problem as you would think, as flippers are actually getting the process down a lot faster now, Dom. It seems so counterintuitive, Diana, because e even for me, we're, we're having trouble finding materials for con or even contractor help to, for, for any kind of home improvement project. Now, now do you expect these profits to, to slip further going into next year, given the fact that we're seeing the prospect for higher interest rates, the cost of carry changes for, some, for, for many of these flippers as well? Yeah, absolutely. You hit it. It's the pro it's the mortgage rates, because if mortgage rates start to rise, you have a twofold problem. Number one, it gets more expensive. And so a lot of the uh, prices may start to fall a little bit because buyers simply have more less purchasing power. But when you look at the flippers themselves, a lot of them use cash, but a lot of them don't. So it's kind of a 50-50 split. So if you're carrying three or four mortgages and rates start to go up and maybe you've gotten a variable rate on a short-term loan, you're going to have a problem with that. And it's also going to be a higher carrying cost. So not only will it eat into overall home prices, which could reduce those profits, but again, the carrying costs, as you said, Dom. All right. Big deal for sure. Diana Olick, thank you very much for that. On deck for the show, futures under pressure amid new worries about the Omicron variant and the Biden agenda. Strategic Wealth's Mark Tepper lays out how you need to navigate this fresh year-end volatility. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Back to the markets right now. Another rough day taking shape after a rough week last week. Take a look here at the sector performers on a one-week basis. Technology, energy, and consumer discretionary among the worst performers in the S&P on a one-week basis. And, of course, you can't forget the biggest stocks in the market out there. Take a look at the last week for Apple, Microsoft, and Google parent company Alphabet. You can see they're down 4.5% for Apple, 6% for Microsoft, and 4% for Alphabet shares. Those have massive influences on the overall market. Let's now welcome in Mark Tepper, CEO of Strategic Wealth Partners. I mean, Mark, is this a market that is really only about those mega cap names? Just look at the underperformance of the NASDAQ right now versus the Dow. Yeah, Dom, good morning. So I think really what's going on right now is the market's struggling to find direction right now. And if you think about it, we're entering uncharted waters for a lot of investors. We've got this combination of high inflation, rising rates, hawkish Fed. That's new. 
to a lot of people. We haven't seen a situation like that since like the 70s, right? So I, I think really what that's doing is it's bringing with it a changing of the guard. You have this new market leadership. You've got longer duration stocks, a lot of you know growthy tech stocks, which have been getting hammered. I think that's going to continue. Um, and I think you see money continue to move into shorter duration stocks. That's stocks that are generating cash flow and earnings right now, maybe even paying dividends or, or engaging in share buybacks, which I know those haven't been you know, in favor over the course of the last decade or so. But I think that's really what you're going to see happen. And that's what's happening right now. And towards the year end, we, all, we often like to look ahead, Mark, to what's go, what are the big themes in the, in the coming year? What, what do you think from an investing perspective will be the driving forces behind that early trade, say, in the first couple of quarters of next year? Is it going to be the continuation of the tech trend? Is it going to be this idea that the, the Fed is going to take some steam out of the markets? What exactly is that kind of broad look that you're looking at for, for, for the first part of 2022? Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously right now and leading into 2022, the, the two major narratives are number one, Omicron. And, and not necessarily the virus, but the policy response, right? Our, our mask mandates, lockdowns, stuff like that. Um, and also a very hawkish Fed. I think the Fed is actually going to end up being more hawkish than they've led us to believe. Jay Powell last week implied that inflation would be down to 2% a year from today. I have no idea how we get there unless the Fed gets even more aggressive than they're leading on. They've talked about, you know, obviously tapering will end in, I believe, March. There, there's talks about maybe three interest rate hikes next year. I think what you actually end up potentially seeing is the Fed may begin to unwind its balance sheet and start selling off all those bonds that they've been accumulating over the course of the last several years. So, um, look, the stocks have to climb a wall of worry in 2022. I think they'll do it. I think stocks are higher a year from today, but there's definitely some pretty substantial headwinds right now. What drives that, Mark? What, what, what part of the market, what stocks specifically, what sectors, what industries are in that position to really outperform in that wall of worry scenario? All right, Dom. So look, we, we're shifting towards defensive growth names, kind of an oxymoron, but defensive growth names like BJ's Wholesale Club. So it's defensive in that it's a, it's a consumer staple. And when inflation's hot, consumers start looking for discounts wherever they can get them. So they start buying in bulk. And BJ's is the relative value play versus Costco. It's kind of like the, you know, the ugly little brother. Trades at about a 50% valuation discount to Costco, but it's growing at twice the pace of Costco. And the stock's been re-rating higher all year. I think it's going to continue to do so. It doesn't deserve to trade at Costco's multiple but it shouldn't be at a 50% discount. So th those are the kind of names we're adding right now. So if you look at the way that those defensive growth type companies kind of factor in, does that then mean that there is a, an end to the so-called value cyclical trade like energy and, and certain industrials? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, I think right now the market's more focused on slowing economic growth, a hawkish Fed. And I think that takes a lot of air out of those really cyclical sectors. I mean, just look at how energy has been doing over the course of the past few weeks. Hasn't done that great. Sure. Um, so I think what you're going to you're going to see more people transition to stuff that's generating constant cash flows right, right now. Short durations where you want to be. All right. Mark Tepper, Strategic Well, thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dom. All right. As we had a break, checking right now what's happening with the Dow futures, NASDAQ, and of course, what's happening around the globe as well. You can see there are some moves to the downside. Squawk Box picks up market coverage coming up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.